0: Hello, and welcome to Label Sessions Presents. Label Sessions is a global platform that connects you to the best advice for the most interesting people. Whether you want advice, mentoring, or ideas, I'm Drushniks, content producer for Label Sessions. In this episode, Keisha Kijana of Label Sessions talks to David Granger. David is a digital content director extraordinaire, leading the creative charge of companies like Red Bull Media House, and most recently, Cinch. Be it marketing, digital, and video production, David has it covered. Over to him and Keisha.
1: Welcome to the Label Sessions Presents podcast, David. Uh, I'm super excited to get to talk to you and also that we get a little sneak preview into the, the advice that you can give to others. Um, to kick off, though, uh, can you please introduce yourself to the Label Sessions audience and also share what you're, you're best known for?
2: My name is David Granger. Um, I have been working in content marketing for... 15 years, I guess, um, and I think I'm probably best known for, I moved from, I think it's sports content marketing, which sounds very niche, but it's uh, it's where I started. I started in Formula One. Uh, I did a lot of sport with Red Bull Media House, and then latterly, I've been working with Cinch, and we do a lot of sports partnerships, so probably sports content marketing is, is what I'm best known for.
1: And we've had a bit of a discussion before recording this and kind of we've picked up here at label sessions that you've kind of you have a passion for sort of building these communities and crafting content strategies that that kind of that resonate with diverse audience. Um, do you think there's been a, a more recent push for actually building communities within social media or has it kind of has it always been there?
2: I think it's I think it's always been there and I think it, it's not just social media either. I think when so I first my well, very first job. I worked for a local newspaper. And basically, that was the same thing. We were building communities. We were talking to them. We are engaging with them. They were giving us feedback. That idea of, and you know, whether you consider things as an audience, as a a customer segment, as a consumer, all you're doing with content marketing is, is making sure that you understand who you're talking to. You're talking their language. You're talking to them in a place where they are as well. So the platforms that they inhabit where you should publish your content. So I think it's it's probably always been there. It's probably latent, but it's now slightly more obvious um, because with social and with um, digital, you can track exactly you know down to the to the town where people have got their IP address. You can work out where they are. So I think it's it's always been there. It's just we, we've tend to kind of what used to happen in marketing was we we would shotgun everything and just hope that we would reach the right audience. Now we're able to target them much better and we're able to kind of create communities as well and it's it's that that's that's also part of what we do is to create a community so it may be that they're consumers now but they get involved with the content we produce and that was certainly the case with red bull racing and with red bull media house as well we were creating communities talking to them uh, and engaging with them on platforms which they inhabited.
1: The, the, almost the measurement metrics have changed throughout the time that you've been doing this, or is there kind of just more of a focus on one, but they've always been, the same ones have been around?
2: The same ones have been around. I think the trouble is that we tend to um, tell stories through data, but we tell the stories we want to tell as opposed to what the data is telling us. So it used to be that you would look at your follow account, you would look at your reach or your engagement and say, this is the this is the measure of success of the content we have produced. The danger with that is that you want you you're looking for the story and you find the data to back that up. And what I've tried to do with my teams is to to get them to think about the effect of content rather than a KPI or a measurement or a goal or a target of what is the effect of that content. And so then you start looking at different things. So you look at, it could be reach. If you're looking at a brand awareness play, it could be engagement. If you are trying to build a community, it could be conversion rate, So traffic to website, but ultimately what you're looking at is how has what I've produced in a marketing sense, had what effect has that had on that consumer? And basically for me as a business as well. So each individual business and sector will have different ways of measuring its success. But you have to make sure that what you're doing is not because you look at meta, you look at um, uh, Twitter, you look at everywhere, but they're giving you mounds of data. But unless you're interpreting that properly, and using it to your advantage, it's just numbers on a on a screen. So to answer your question, I think the the ability to to measure has always been there. I think what we're getting better at is looking at making sure that we're looking at the right data. And it's telling us a story that actually makes business sense as opposed to fantasy metrics and we've increased our followers by x hundred thousand
1: you talk about storytelling and picking up on that so it's it's a huge part of what you do from what we gather both telling the story of the brand to the target audience but also telling with the story of the strategy internally what do you think what is your secret to good storytelling then
2: storytelling tends to be banded about it's a phrase that people use as a shorthand for lots of different things but for me, in essence, what it is 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 making sure that the information you give to your consumers, to other brands, to uh, users, is done so in a way which is palatable. And it's telling stories is a great way to get information across, or entertainment across, or all sorts of things. But it's just it's just a, a means to an end, I guess. It's making sure that the information you give is is handed over, is given, is structured rather than than just thrown out and storytelling is a really important way of, especially for brands to tell people what they do, how they do it and why they should invest in them and the investment either in time or in, in handing over their cash. But storytelling has, has always been part of what I do from, um, I started as a journalist and the whole nature of that was finding stories and telling them and in Red Bull, what we did was very much, everything was about storytelling. We didn't talk about the drink itself. We talked about how the effects of, 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 the lifestyle of the brand itself, how that would take, how that would take, uh, how that would manifest itself. And Red Bull was brilliant in storytelling, you know, the, from our athletes to our sports teams, to Red Bull Music Academy, it was all about giving something which was a little bit more circumspect than buy our drink, but it was content marketing. And it was content marketing before it had really become a thing, you know. I started in 2005 with Red Bull, and content marketing wasn't a phrase that was used a lot. But we just kept pushing it, and we talked. You know, I worked in Formula One, and we talked about other teams who we were quite happy to tell their stories, but it just meant people associated us with entertainment and information.
1: I think that's actually such a good point on on Red Bull as well. Of you see the content, and they're never they're never really talking about the drink. Yeah, Formula One, the drivers might drink something out of like a, a Red Bull cup at the end, but they're pushing their story, they're pushing them at the forefront of their game, at the forefront of, you know, the activity, whatever they're doing. And it just happens to be kind of, and it gives you wings to be able to do all of this.
2: Absolutely incredible. It, it is incredible. And it's, you know, the investment of, of, of time and budget that Red Bull put behind that storytelling should never be um, underestimated. And I think that's sometimes where people have tried to emulate that. But if you're going to go for that level of content marketing and buy, you know, three football teams, two Formula One teams, goodness, knows how many athletes you're sponsoring worldwide. That's a lot of marketing budget to put in there. Um, and, but that's, that's what Red Bull does. It doesn't do a lot of above the line advertising. It does its storytelling through its athletes and its artists.
1: On that note, something that Red Bull does that I think not a lot of people would know about is the Red Bull Story Academy. Um, I kind of just leave it as kind of an open thing for you. Could you explain what it is, and also kind of what's your favorite thing about it?
2: It was started by a guy called um, Chris Packwood, and he worked in HR in um, in Salzburg in, in Austria. And he he saw the power of storytelling and what it could do in terms of of, of bringing the brand to life. You no, know, it, it's what we did, but he wanted to improve that. So he did a lot of research, and then. He worked with a group of us um, pulling a course together and basically it was a a three, sometimes four day course where we took everybody from athlete managers to artist managers to um, country managers and took them through two or three days where we kind of explained the the psychology of of storytelling, why it resonates, why emotion with with fact equals a story, all these sort of things, and then took them through and, and then... As we went through those three days, everybody on the Storytelling Academy was writing their own story. So they would think of one moment in their life that that they remember well, and then you you look into how how that mem- why that memory is so strong, and it's because there's an emotion attached. And so everyone at the end would not only have gone through the course, they wrote their own story as well. And there were some some amazing stories that came out of that from the people we work with. But in essence, what it did was just kind of explain to people. How stories work, how you find stories, how you construct them, and then how you put them together. Um, and it was it was one of the best things I was involved in at, at, at Red Bull. It was and it was it got to the very essence of the brand, but it was it was training other people to do similar things. So yeah, it was it was an amazing thing, and that was the, myself and Chris Packwood and a couple of, of other people put together. What was your your favorite kind of teaching or learning that you got from it? I think probably the 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 best one was that everybody has a story within them and that every, and you don't know and sometimes it just takes somebody else to kind of tease it out of you but there will always be just the it was fascinating what people um people came up with you know we had people who had been conscripted into the Finnish army we had people being evacuated out of um out of war-torn cities we had just these amazing things and it was just that everyone has a story and you just yeah, that everyone has a story, and there are some amazing stories out there in each and every one of us. But sometimes we just need a little bit of help to kind of pull it out and pull it together.
1: Perhaps from that, and maybe a, a maybe contrived link to the next question. So you have you have also your story of your career path. You've gone from got kind of high energy, major hype sports to just in tobacco, but then also kind of I would call it consumer cars automobiles how have you found that shift in terms of kind of changing industries building communities and in different industries have you kind of have you learned something during your move is it kind of do you have to do different things or is it kind of the same thing about a different audience can you just talk us
2: through that I I think it's um the principles are the same and you know I've I've developed a, a way of doing things where you look at you look at the Business objectives first, because that's the most important thing. Uh, you then look at the budgets, um, and then you look at, um, then you produce a program of content. So you work out what's going to be produced over the next weeks, months, six months, 12 months. Then you put that into production, whether that's writing uh, and stills images or, or video, whether it's social media, whether it's owned media. Uh, then you look at promoting that. And then you look at the performance. So I think the the principles are always the same, but in those, you know, those three industries that you mentioned, automotive, tobacco and sport, they are, you know, clearly they have different, um, different reasons for producing content. They have different audiences. You're trying to tell them a different story. You're doing it in a different way, doing it on different platforms as well. So you have to be kind of aware of that. But ultimately there is, there is a line where you go, okay, I can, I know I'm trying to get to what I need to tell them how much money I've got to do it then you work out that plan so so there's a way of doing it but definitely you have to kind of bring in all the the back from all those different industries in order to make it work and to make it successful on a business level as, as well as a an aesthetic creative one
1: the odd thing about my kind of a social media or media strategy and the tools for this kind of this content publication they're accessible to, to anyone to everyone you know my grandma and her dog, but I feel that the challenge lies in kind of executing it effectively for, for that specific audience and also that specific brand. Um, I guess what, what's your advice for kind of a startups who haven't got any of kind of, any idea of their, their brand, their specific audience, and then also B, what's your advice to established companies who perhaps rethinking their media strategy?
2: I think for, for startups, um, two pieces of advice. The first is to record everything you do. So make sure that you're, um, you're taking pictures of the process, you're taking videos of, of what's happening. Not necessarily for now, but there may be a time where you need it. So the first thing is to capture. Um, the second thing for startups is to not to not run before you can walk on social media. So don't try and do every single channel all at once. Work out where your audience is. There's a different audience on Instagram to Facebook. There's a different, you're doing a different thing on LinkedIn compared to TikTok. So it's to work out your your strategy according to those. And that's not to make more work for yourself. That's to make less work for yourself. So you're not trying to fill all these channels. Could you could spend all day and all night taking photographs, putting captions on them, taking videos, putting them onto TikTok. But just... It's to kind of take a step back and plan a bit more. So f- I think for yeah for for startups, it's to plan. It's to work out what you want to do, sorry, what you want to say, who you want to say it to, and where they are. So what would be my first thing for for startups? For established brands, it's making sure that um, it's probably the similar principle, but just on a different scale. It's making sure you're efficient in what you do, and not only efficient but effective as well. There are many brands that just look, you know, and, and it's always the CEO or the CF CFO's niece who's got an Instagram account and she's got a whole load of followers. Why haven't we got that many followers? And you have to explain that it's a different, you know, it's a different tool. You're trying to persuade people to to get involved with your brand, to buy from you eventually. So for, for bigger ones it's it's the same principle is to audit everything you do, make sure it's effective and efficiently done. Um, and I think for both it's not to be obsessed by the new shiny things just yet. Just work out how they're going to fit into your marketing mix and then introduce them. Don't go mental for Snapchat or TikTok now, work out exactly where they're going
0: to fit in. This podcast is brought to you by Label Sessions, the global platform that connects you to the best advice from the most interesting people. Around the world, we work with brands to connect their people to true leaders, just like the people you hear on this podcast. For live sessions of advice, mentor, or sometimes to collaborate on ideas to find out more visit labelsessions.com and book in for a demo with our team. how much scope
1: is there for experimentation within strategy for startups i mean for both would you would you start with a lot of experimentation from the off there see what sticks and then build it from there i mean how would you get the data but or would you kind of go into a lot of data heavy research build up a steady following before trying out so many things what what would you suggest
2: with social media especially because the the financial barrier to production is fairly low you know you can do some really cool stuff with an iphone and capcut i would say that experimentation is is key but it's you're right the second part of it, your question is right is to monitor what what you're doing work out what is working what's not working what is working, you repeat and repeat and refine what's not working, you either stop or you refine that and change it. So it's absolutely experimentation. And some of the best content that I've either seen or been involved with has been that experimentation, has been just trying things out. And because you can, you know it's not like we're printing magazines which take four weeks to produce, a week to print, and then you can't change it. You can change stuff. So I'd say experimentation is really key. But with, again, with that, that guide, guidelines that you watch what's happening when you do experiment. Is it working? Is it not? Are you getting to the right people? Are you not getting to the right people? But yeah, no, I think and and that's part of the reason why many of us absolutely love content marketing because you get that chance to be more creative. You get the chance to do things which you wouldn't if you were working in other parts of, of the industry.
1: It's yeah, so a really good mix of like you said, like the creativity of problem solving data collection going business strategy but also that creativity part so sounds like a lot of fun but a lot of thinking a lot of different sort of I don't know whether to left brain or right brain thinking it's all a whole mix
2: so the best people I've worked with in content marketing are those ones that do have that data that you know art and science data and creativity and I've worked with only two or three that have been really really good at both but if you can get uh, if you can find those sort of people, they're gold dust for content marketing.
1: Almost on the flip side of that, are there? So you've mentioned something that kind of isn't about a lot, and if you find that, that's great. But on the other side, is there any kind of misconceptions with anything that we've talked about that you kind of want to bust at the moment?
2: It's it's never a silver bullet. I think it's the the expectation sometimes is that social media will and content marketing will solve all your marketing problems in the next week. And it's not, it's a, it's a longer term investment in time and effort and, and creativity, but the rewards are, are, are excellent when you get there because you do start to build um, a community. There's a rapport between consumer and brand and it becomes, it's a better, it's, it's a more solid relationship. But I think the myth is that I've put something out on TikTok and I will get 4 million views and my sales will increase. That's not going to happen. There are ways of doing that using influencer marketing, using various different things, but it's it's not a silver bullet. I think that would be it's part of the marketing mix rather than the only thing you should be doing.
1: That's a good thing to think about. And a lot of people say, kind of, "Oh yeah, social media, you just keep posting." No, it's more than it's more than that, and it's more than just post, and it's that will get you results. I know you've got different strategy for different sort of media platforms and different types of messaging, but with that do you and if so how do you kind of give the call to action at the end of that without making it too obvious
2: again it depends which channel you're you're using it depends the purpose of that content it depends what effect you would like to have you know there are absolutely there are times where you go there's money off buy here click the link and that is you know that's a direct call to action it's a it's a it's a flag to wave just so people can start buying things Conversely, if you are trying to build up a relationship, if you're trying to build a brand, then you shouldn't be shouting about it. You should get people to engage with the content. And I think sometimes we think of consumers as consumers of people who buy a product, but also they should be thought of as consumers of the media as well. You know, if if, if they if someone's spending time with your brand, on if they're falling down a TikTok rabbit hole, if they've kind of found you on x and then just following you and going through all your posts then definitely that that has a that has a place that absolutely has a place so sometimes you just have to work out ex- again it goes back to what is the purpose for that piece of content what is the purpose of the campaign is it brand awareness is it comprehension is it driving people to sales but yeah there are there are times when definitely i've worked in i worked for the red bull shop which is red bull's media, merchandise house and that was that was that was about transaction, you know, that was about making sure that they became customers as well as consumers.
1: I do want to come to the, the end part that we do on on the podcast. Um, so you have heard a lot about you, your advice, kind of your story, but we, we'd we also want to know a bit about kind of you, who like who is David? Um, so we have a few quick fire questions to ask. Uh, where do you go for inspiration for your day job and also to feed your creative brain?
2: I try and read as much as I can. I try and flip between fiction and non-fiction but I do consume as much content as as I possibly can um, both online and offline. Uh, And I I also try and look at other places so music is a passion so I kind of try and listen to as much music as I can and work out the backstories. I'm slightly obsessed by rock biographies.
1: Question two, can you describe your desk for our audience?
2: I invested in a stand-up sit-down desk so it moves up and down. Uh, I've got a main screen, a laptop uh, on a stand, and I try and keep it as clear as possible, but don't always succeed.
1: In another life, what would your career be? Is it that rock musician?
2: Oh no, I'd have been a roadie. I'd have absolutely been. I would. I. I just love putting things together, like uh, guitar pedals and uh, amplifiers and stuff. So I'd have been a roadie without a doubt. And given the choice, Manning Street Preachers about nineteen ninety
0: eight. Yeah.
1: What is the
2: the first work thing that you've ever been? extremely proud of it was it was uh, it was a, it was a local newspaper and um i worked with an amazing editor and he kind of gave me free reign to do some really mad stuff and i tried to persuade the international Olymp- olympic committee they should bring the next olympics to market harbor in leicestershire and we did a whole three page pages on why the uh, world of sport should come to a small market town in the middle of england
1: What's the best piece of advice that you've ever been given?
2: It was um, it was it was by my father, and he said, "Take care of business, and everything else will take care of itself." And um, I didn't kind of get it at the time, but he meant concentrate on the things that are going to move everything, and everything else will will take care of itself. So just concentrate. Um, I don't think he was quoting Elvis Presley or Liam Gallagher, I think also. He's got a tattoo with that as well. But um I don't think he was quoting him, but I think it was just take care of business and everything else will take care of itself. And it's actually really good advice because it means you focus on the things you can change and then everything else will will follow in its way.
1: And I wonder if you were to meet your younger self, would you be giving him the same advice or is there other advice, other personalized advice that you'd
2: give him? Aim as high as you can, as early as you can. Um there's that, and also uh, don't treat failure as failure. Treat it as a lesson. It's just a way of, you know, when something doesn't go right, you pick yourself up, learn from it, and move forward. It's when you don't learn that, that it becomes actual. It becomes detrimental.
1: Very good advice. Very, very good advice there. Um, but no, I guess we've we've reached the, the final question. Um, it's a question that we ask all of the people who come on our podcast. David, on a scale of one to 10,
2: how weird are you? If you ask my kids and my wife, it would be a nine and a half. If you ask the people I work with, it'd probably be a five. So I'm going to go about seven in between, I think. I think hopefully we all have quirks that, that kind of make us slightly different and strange. But it depends on the uh, people judging me. I'd, I'd go for seven.
1: I say also on that point, I guess without giving away your whole email, it's very memorable. It's very, very memorable. Can you give always the bit that makes it memorable without giving out your full email? No?
2: So the spoonerism, spoonerism of my name is grave danger, and it's an accidental spoonerism. I don't think my parents actually worked out what they were doing, but yeah, Dave Granger becomes grave danger, um, and it was used on a Two Ronnies sketch for those people old enough to remember the Two Ronnies. Um, and I once had a, I once had a geography lesson that had to be stopped because the. Um, teacher just thought it was so funny he couldn't stop laughing so if nothing else having spoonerism gets you out of geography a level
1: i love it and it's very memorable and every time you call a conversation i'm like huh. the email thank you so so much for your time we've reached all the questions that we want wanted to answer i wish we had more time um to discuss all the different things especially your love of rock music um perhaps next time but um Yeah, thank you for your advice. Thank you for the the snippets of pieces of knowledge that you've given. Um yeah. And we really
2: appreciate it.
0: Thank you very much. My pleasure. My pleasure. So concludes another episode of Label Sessions Presents. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast, no matter your platform of choice, and of course start your journey today with us at labelsessions.com.